Okay, good morning, church. I am Scott Brubaker, and there's a couple of tough acts to follow today. So, how many people think Daisy actually was preaching today? Put your hand up if you think Daisy was doing some preaching. I do. And let me just say, if, <clears throat> if the message I give you today is half as convicting as hers was, I'll have done my job today. So, but I did have a question, Daisy. What's up with the, what's up with the foot on the podium here? Like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> is that the new standard here, crossing? Anyway, thanks, you guys, and it is a blessing. And welcome back from church, all you students. And um, so I'm Scott Brubaker. I'm a member of the Elder Council. If you're a visitor here, I'm not the normal preacher. I don't do this very much, so don't hold this against us, I'm going to say. Um, also say that this is uh, the second message in a little mini-series We're talking about the doctrine of eternal security and assurance for a couple of weeks here. And I discovered, as I know Pastor Tim knows, that the blessing of giving a couple messages in a row is I can say stuff. I can say this stuff this week that I wish I would have said and how I wish I would have said it last week. Amen, Tim? You know what I mean? (laughs) That is an incredible blessing. So also... um, if you're visiting with us, feel free to be challenged by feel free to be challenged by our emphasis on God's grace and um, all that God has done for us. So we're we're happy to speak about that today. And I'm just going to pause and pray, and then I'll get started. Father, thank you for your grace for so many things. May your Spirit provide conviction. May your Spirit be the teacher today, and may your Spirit bring you glory as we think about our security today. So, uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about the grace of God at some length, as you recall, as a foundation for understanding and believing in our eternal security. And students, we're going to talk about this today. Just let me say, if Freddie was here, he'd be saying, Amen, brother right now because he would he would look at this security issue as an extension of the grace that I know he blasted you guys out with today. So Freddie would would really want you to know the stuff that I'm talking about today. So let's talk about just summarize a little bit about what grace is. <clears throat> grace is God's gift of salvation to sinners who deserve just the opposite. Grace is God's undeserved favor to sinners who deserve his condemnation. God's grace, this might be a little challenging for some who are new, God's grace, not us, is the source and motive for God's pardon from sin and our salvation. Grace is God's Source and motive for our pardon from sin and salvation. Uh, Bill's going to do a couple slides for me. You wake back there, Bill. Uh, this is pretty much summed up with a slide that I will put up there. Uh, there it is. Okay. Second Timothy 1.9. Um, By the power of God, he saved us and called us to a holy life. Get this not because of anything we have done, but because of his own 
purpose, and grace. Amen, church? He saved us not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Understanding grace as the cause of our salvation helps us move the focus for our salvation and, in fact, for everything that God has and is doing in our lives off of us and onto God. Off of us and onto God. It's not what we do that's of first importance. It's what God did. And we should wholeheartedly praise and glorify him in gratitude for it. The appropriate response to grace is the worship of God, which I'll talk about a little bit later, I think. I don't remember everything I cut out trying to make this fit (laughs) in today, but I think I'm going to talk about worship more. But another thing, by the way, grace, as we see it, is not an empowerment Okay, listen to this. It's not an empowerment to live a life acceptable to God, as some traditions would teach. But rather, by grace, God provided a perfect, sinless substitute to pay for our sin and by faith credit that perfect substitute's perfect righteousness to us. And it is this credited or imputed righteousness that makes us acceptable to God. We can never, with or without God's enablement, live a life worthy of or deserving of heaven. For one thing, James 2.10, another book in the Bible, says if we've broken any of the Ten Commandments, it's like breaking all of them. No, eternal life, going to heaven, and catch this, is not something to be earned. It is something to be received. Eternal life is not something to be earned, but something to be received. Grace is appropriated by faith. We talked about saving faith. Not because saving faith is a special kind of faith, but because it has a very specific object. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God who offers eternal life as a free gift to those and only those who believe in him and him alone for it. Salvation is not by faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. Understand that, Michael? Are you with me so far, Michael? Okay, good. All right, good. Unless we appropriate God's grace by expressing this saving faith, none of these benefits of grace that I have been and will continue to talk about, none of them apply to us. We are still in our sins. We are under God's condemnation. And unless we avail ourselves of God's provision for sin before we die, we will spend eternity in hell. The Bible says, he who does not believe stands condemned already. The default position for us as humans is we die and we go to hell. Okay? <clears throat> Further, we will never be assured 
of our relationship with God if we are depending on anything we do for even the tiniest little part of it. I'll illustrate this with, if you're out in a boat and you don't swim and the boat tips over and you're flailing away in the water and one of those gas tanks, right, one of those red gas tanks floats by you and you grab this gas tank and you pull yourself over this gas tank and you are depending on this gas tank to keep you afloat. You have no other way to stay up. You are resting on this gas tank. And similarly, we must rest completely, just like we would rest on that gas tank, in the death of Christ as our only way to God. If you need to do some kind of work, God has a word for you. Uh, Bill, second slide. Okay. Here is what God says uh, about work. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay? Let's define eternal security. Uh, Bill, next slide. Eternal security is the work of God which guarantees that the gift of eternal life once received is forever and can never be lost. Okay. Assurance. Next slide, Bill. Assurance. Assurance is its cousin, and assurance is the realization, simply the realization that one possesses eternal life. Eternal life is from God's perspective. Assurance is from our perspective, but they are two sides of the same truth. Okay? We talked about last week, our assurance should not be based on our feelings, our works, or lack thereof, our turning from sin, or the presence or absence of sin in our lives. And this is important. This is probably the main application point for this part today. We, as a church, your leadership, we believe the only appropriate source of assurance of our standing with God are the promises of God in Scripture that state over and over again that believing in Jesus is the only condition God places on receiving eternal life. Period. Uh, you can put up a slide, Bill. Yep. Um, Jesus said, and then this is stated most succinctly in John 6:47 but it is said in one way or the other over 200 times in the New Testament. And um, John 6.47 says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. He who believes has, as a present possession, everlasting life. This is a great truth. This is a great truth to memorize. In practice, this means that we are relying on those promises similar to John 6:47 those promises of God as the only basis of our security and assurance of salvation we want our people to look to the promises of God as expressed in the word of God for our security and nothing else we talked about a few reasons for that uh, last week but that's where we want our folks 
to get to is to base our assurance on the promises of God that he who believes has everlasting life. Okay? Church, I remember where I was standing downstairs in this church 25 years ago when somebody confronted me with this. If you remember Ron Higley, our former associate pastor, we used to have a bookstore downstairs where the family room is now. I was standing there and I was talking to Ron about how I'm sure I have to do all this stuff and demonstrate all this these changes in my life. And Ron said, well, Scott, how much of that is enough? How much of those changes, how much of that changed lifestyle do you have to show before you can have confidence in your salvation? And I couldn't answer the question. And you know what? Neither can anybody. Because the answer is that God demands perfection. Jesus said, Matthew 5.48, be perfect. Because I'm perfect. Jesus, or Paul said in... Um, in, uh, in in Hebrew in uh, Hebrew uh, in First Peter, sorry, Peter said in First Peter, uh, one nineteen, be holy because I'm I'm holy and I am neither one of those perfect or holy, so I can never rest in my performance as the basis for my assurance. But I can rest on the promises of God that Jesus said, "He who believes has everlasting life." So, when doubts about our standing with God occur, and they will occur. We should figuratively drive a stake in the ground, remember that we believe in Jesus, and depend on that promise that he who believes has everlasting life, period. Um, We also talked about, thank you, Daisy, for her preparation here. We talked about how grace and security should be our motivation for service to God. Out of God's grace our undeserved favor, we should line up to get on that bus to go to South Philly next week and give someone else a chance to hear and understand these great and liberating truths. Okay? By the way, we are making it easy on you. We're providing transportation, everything you need. All you've got to do is meet up. We'll get you there, and we promise to get you home, and you'll have a great time. It's a one-on-one conversation. You're not preaching to anybody. You're just sitting in a chair talking to somebody. And the really cool thing that's happened a couple times is we talk to somebody. It's a very family-oriented culture. They'll come back half an hour later with their family, and they'll say, would you tell them what you just told me and that I just believed? Is that cool? Is that cool? That's very cool. That can happen to you. We're going to meet at Church of Living Hope, okay? We're going to meet, we're going to leave there at 1.30. The actual event is from 3 to 6. We partner with Living Hope. They have the buses. We have the chairs. We're going to roll out of there at 1.30 and head down. And we'll be back, um, you know, we'll be back 7-ish. So it's not a long day. It's part of your day. It might be the best day of your life. Okay? So let's move on. And as I prepared this message, especially this week, and we're going to talk about the basis for our eternal security Uh, here today, I realized more than ever how much of all of this centers on the person, the work, and the promises of Jesus Christ. To know these things is honoring to him. And really, as I think about it, what could be more secure? I can't live up to my own corrupt and fallible morals and standards, let alone God's. I'm thankful 
The security of my relationship with God depends on Jesus' performance and not mine. I'm glad God designed it this way. Aren't you, church? Amen? Amen on that, church? Please keep in mind as we go through several Bible verses as the basis for our eternal security that behind the verses is a truth. And behind the truth is a loving, purposeful, gracious, heavenly Father who wants all his children home with him forever. And he wants us to know we will be there no matter where the storms of life take us. We'll lose our footing. We'll lose our balance. We'll lose our compass. We'll blow it so badly we won't believe it. We'll disappoint everyone, including ourselves and even God. But true north, true north, our eternal destination has been secured and is held by God's power, not our performance. Amen to that, church? Amen. So we're going to roll through a few biblical bases. I'm really going to let these verses up on the screen speak for themselves because they really do. God is fully, God has fleshed this out in his word. He is fully capable of speaking uh, for himself here through his word. I'll read a little more content than I'll put up on the screen because you've got to have letters this big to get them on these screens. So I'll be reading a little bit more, but I'll put the heart of the verse up on the screen on the PowerPoint. I'll make a comment or ask a rhetorical question or two. But please do feel free to focus on the words of God and to shut me out of the whole thing. That would be fine if you do that um, from here on in, okay? First of all, it surprises many to know that God wants his children to know they will be with him in heaven forever. Okay, Bill, you got the slide there? Okay. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So that you may know you have eternal life. According to this verse, who are the people who can know they have eternal Eternal life, those who believe in Jesus, right? God doesn't want us to hope. God doesn't want us to pray. He wants us to know that we will spend eternity with him. And what a blessing it is to go through life believing that for ourselves, okay? Our first reason to believe in eternal security is the power of God and his eternal grip on us. Slide, Bill. John ten twenty seven. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Okay? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So do you get the sense from that verse? That it's not us holding on to God. I know that some traditions would kind of see it as a rope coming down from heaven, and we're trying to hold on to this rope to get pulled up to heaven somehow. That's not how God sees it. God sees it is that both he and Jesus have us in their hands. And they have to come through our Father and our Savior to get us out of that grip that they have on us. So it is by God's power that we are held in our relationship and our um, destination uh, with him. Not, no one, not even ourselves, can pry us from God's double grip on us. We are held by the power of God, and no one can snatch us from his grip. Okay? Second reason to believe in eternal security. We talked about this last week, but it is worth repeating. Um, the basis of our salvation is grace. No merit or cause from us. We looked at the verse in Romans chapter 3. Our salvation was not caused by us. Okay, slide bill. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You know it. We love it. It says a lot. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. It's surprising to many people. Salvation is a gift from God, bought and paid for by God, given to us as a free gift. Costly to God, he paid the price, offered to us as a free gift. And also, it doesn't make sense if our salvation is not caused by our good works, how we could lose it by failure to perform good works that were never the basis for it in the first place. Does that make sense, church? Does that make sense? Okay. Our salvation is a gift from God. We don't earn gifts, do we? We receive them. We didn't cause our salvation. We can't lose it. Okay? The third reason to rest in our security is the fatherhood of God and his adoption of us. The New Testament characterizes God's action toward believers as adopting us into his, Greg Shipley says, his forever family. Okay, Bill, slide. Okay. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. If God wanted to accomplish only a temporary judicial forgiveness, he would not have adopted us, which has a much more permanent relationship connotation. Okay? Another reason for eternal security is the imagery Jesus and others used of salvation as being born again or born from above. <clears throat> I think this was very intentional language, a very intentional illustration. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay, I'll just put up another verse, slide bill. Okay. Uh, in First Peter, it says, For you have been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Three things about our physical and spiritual birth make this illustration a strong statement for eternal security. Neither physical or spiritual birth can be undone. You can't be unborn. You can't be unborn, and you can never not be your biological father's child. Think about that for a minute. You can be estranged from him, not have fellowship with him, but you can never not be your father's child. And once you are born into God's forever family, you can't not be his child forever and ever. Since we were not the cause of our physical or our spiritual births, we can't lose it. Okay? One other point, the New Testament authors left us detailed explanations of how one becomes a child of God. If that process could be reversed or undone, wouldn't it make sense to go into equal detail in explaining how to undo the birth process, the new birth process? But we just don't see it. Spiritual birth, like physical birth, is a one-way process. The other imagery of salvation is of crossing over from death to life. Note the verb tenses in the verse I'm going to put up. Okay, Bill, next slide. It says from John 5.24, which also is a great verse to memorize. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has present possession, eternal life, and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. He has crossed over from death to life. According to this verse, if you see it, you see the verb tenses here, our salvation is a present possession. Our salvation is a future promise not to be condemned. And our salvation is a past action of having crossed from death over to life. No mention in the Bible of ever crossing back from life to death. Okay? Another reason are the purposes of God. Many of us know and love Romans 8, that beautiful, unbroken chain of events that God has promised. Okay, Bill, next slide. Okay. For those God foreknew... For those God foreknew, um, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And here's the part. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Who is doing all these actions in this verse? Is it us or is it God? Seems to me like the he is God. Those he predestined. He called, he justified, he will glorify. From his calling of us to our glorification, to lose a single one of us would cause God in this verse to be a liar. He puts no condition on this chain of events other than his promise that they will all occur in a believer's life. Notice, incidentally, that this verse skips right from being justified, being declared not guilty or righteous, to being glorified. It skips kind of this sanctification process that most of are in right now. 
this messy part of our lives where we're growing as Christians, we're trying to walk in obedience, all these things. This verse skips right from being justified right to being glorified in heaven. Hmm, I wonder if God's saying something to us that everyone who's justified, that this sanctification process is great, is important, is necessary. In fact, we'll talk about that a little bit next week, maybe more than a little bit. But the sanctification process is incidental to God taking us to heaven someday. Okay? Just an interesting thought you can think about that this verse may say. Okay? Here's a little deeper one. Can I ask you just to think with me for a minute about this one? We can be assured of our eternal destiny because Jesus is our judge and he also paid our penalty. Jesus is our judge and he's the one who paid our penalty. Did you ever think about this? Stay with me on this. Many of us know John 5:22. The Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus is God's agent for judgment in this world. And now let's go to Romans 8:33. It says, um, I think that, okay, uh, yeah, put the slide up. Thank you, Bill. Um, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Based on the death and resurrection of Christ and our faith, God has declared us not guilty. Jesus is our judge. Consider this. Would the judge who paid the penalty for a guilty person make that person pay the penalty for for themselves that the judge has already paid for? Would that make any sense? Would the judge who paid the penalty for a guilty person make that person pay the penalty themselves that the judge has already paid? Jesus paid our death sentence. That's what we earned by our lives. He will not make us pay it again. Also, there is no higher authority in the universe than God Almighty to refute or challenge or appeal this legal justification, this determination by God, that we are declared not guilty or righteous. It is a final determination. Okay? Another reason, our forgiveness. Okay? Our forgiveness. Next slide, Bill. By faith in Christ, we are forgiven of every sin. I've got two verses on the screen. I thought they complemented each other well. The first one tells us how we're forgiven, faith in Christ. The second one reinforces that our forgiveness is is complete, and we are forgiven from every sin. Acts 10.43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives, doesn't earn, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In Colossians 2.13, he forgave us all our sins, not some of our sins, not part of our sins, all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. If we are completely forgiven for all sins, past, present, and future, based on our faith in Christ, why would we lose our salvation? Another reason, righteousness. As believers, we have been credited with the very righteousness of Christ. 
whose righteousness has literally been placed to our account. It's an accounting term. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And now this verse, this amazing verse in Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as, ob- as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, here's the part, their faith is credited as righteousness. Their faith is credited as righteousness. If we have been credited with the perfect righteousness of Christ, and as believers in him, we have been, how can we not be acceptable to him? Okay? What an amazing verse that Jesus, the, the word in Greek means to ledger. It's an accounting term. We Literally, Christ's righteousness has been ledgered to our account. Okay? Amazing truth about what God has done for us. A couple other reasons for our security. Jesus' ongoing ministry, we know, Hebrews 7.22. Therefore, he's able to completely save us because he always lives to intercede for us. Jesus continues to intercede for us even now. Lastly, and by no means least importantly, in fact, these could have moved way up on the list, but it's just the way they came out. The Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit's work. Okay, Bill, I'm going to put up a slide. I think we have two slides for this point. Ephesians 1.13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing, it's a strong word, isn't it? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a down payment guaranteeing that we will receive our inheritance. Okay? Another point about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has united us with Christ's body. Next slide, Bill. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 6. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like this, like his, certainly Sorry, old memory burst in there. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have been united with Christ's body. No mention of how we could possibly be detached from him. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit seals us. And I just want to read... Something of a little bit of a looser translation. I think it really says it well in 2 Corinthians 1.22. I don't have a slide here. It's from the New Living Bible. Just a little looser translation, but just listen to what these words say. It is God who enables us to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has provided us. The Holy Spirit is the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. The Holy Spirit is our down payment or deposit guaranteeing our redemption. I'm going to put one more slide up, and it is a familiar one to you, and it says simply, as we kind of 
Sorry I gave you a lot of information today, but let's just, let's just think about this, this single truth for a minute as we, as we close and as we kind of summarize. John 3.16, you see it, you know it, but it's precious, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever considered the simplicity of that truth and the guarantee that we've just talked about of our eternal security forever and ever based on the one simple promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never considered that, if you've never considered how simple God has made your salvation to be. Would you just think about that verse for a minute? Believing in him, the only condition. Believe in him. Look what else you get. All that I talked about today all comes to us simply by believing that Jesus died for us. I'm going to just offer an opportunity for someone who may have come to see this a little differently today than they have before. Maybe they came to realize how efficacious God's grace is, that his grace is what's responsible for our salvation and not our works, not our baptism, not our church membership, not anything. God caused our salvation by sending Christ to die for us and asks only that we believe that is true for us individually and personally. I'm going to just pause for a minute. Anyone like to? No one gets to heaven by saying a prayer, but certainly in a prayer we can tell God that we understand these things and we are believing in Jesus for our salvation. Let's pray, folks. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how rich and full it is. Thank you for the many promises of security and assurance that go along with it. But maybe mostly thank you that the truth of it all comes down to whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If there's anyone here who would like to tell God, even today, that they are believing in Jesus for eternal life, they can say a prayer something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do to earn your forgiveness. Here and now, place my faith in Jesus as my Savior, depending on him and him alone for my relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Okay, church, we're going to close up here. And just, um, I, I did talk Tim out of one more week uh, for this uh, topic. So next week, we're going to talk about a lot of practical application. We're going to dive deeper into a couple of comparisons of Scripture. We're going to really hit this from one other angle. But in the meantime, can we all take God at his word, rest in the security he's promised us, and let that, as it does for these guys in the red shirts here, let that energize us. Let that energize us to go out and tell the world, about this truth. Okay, church? Uh, Two quick things. We are dismissed, and we have the third Sunday reception. 
if you care to come down, have a little bite to eat, socialize with us, and uh, also see me if you have any interest in going to South Philly and sharing the gospel or, or serving in some other way next Saturday. Be glad to uh, get you any details on that that you need. Amen, church? Amen. Have a great week.